0: Hey, everybody, welcome to the Sharp Tongue Podcast. I'm your girl, Jessie Mapeluso. How you living? How you learning? How you loving? I just gave myself, like, do you remember that show host? I think she's still doing it. Delilah. <laughs> How you living? How you learning? How you loving? Just kind of caught on for myself. You guys might fucking hate it. I'm not sure. I can't say that I really care either way. It just rolls out of my mouth sometimes. And we got to go with the flow. And I thought of something recently. If you fuck up my flow, you got to go. That's my new motto. You can take it, write it on a piece of paper, spray paint it on someone's house. Actually, don't do that. That's probably really rude. You can draw it on soap in your car window. You can tattoo it on your forehead. That's probably a better option than graffitiing somebody's house. I think if you're going to deface someone's property, you should put a tattoo on your deface just as collateral. I am super pumped for this episode. This is a grief survival guide episode. I think we're episode 16. I could be wrong. I'm probably wrong. I'm uh, usually usually wrong. This episode features someone who I am so excited to get on the podcast. And as you guys know, if you want to watch the video, that will be available on youtube.com forward slash Jessie May Peluso. I will include some information based off of the episode in the show notes. Pertaining to grief, support, and resources. And also Alzheimer's support and resources. Because this week's Sharp Tongue Podcast, Grief Survival Guide Miniseries Guest, is an amazing musician. He is so talented. He's living in Nashville right now and has really broke ground and has created a community for himself and for people suffering with this terrible disease, Alzheimer's disease, as you guys know I've been very vocal about, and I discovered him through my own research and reaching out and trying to build my own little community of people who were also going through what I was experiencing, and I found him. And his music is amazing and his his story is just so relatable to me and he was so kind to come on to the podcast and be very vulnerable and candid about his experience i know you guys are going to love him please check out his music i will also include on the show notes after this episode the one the only the very talented mr j allen sharp tongue podcast comedy how hard it is to make it in this biz i'm a fucking professional each week it's something different sometimes i have a guest host sometimes it's gonna be a movie companion episode sometimes i just ramble about the bullshit i dealt with the week before you never know what you're gonna get it's raw uncut and funny it's me there's your face your face is right here where where are you are you back in nashville
1: i am back in nashville i got back yesterday
0: (laughs) so tell me where where did your travels bring you
1: uh, well, uh, it's confidential. <laughs>
0: oh, that's exciting. That means something is coming down the pipeline, if I yeah. can guess.
1: Yes, it's one of those things. I think you know a lot about it, probably. So, that's yeah. really
0: exciting. I, um, know soon. It's so strange. I'm sure you've experienced this many times where you feel like you know somebody you and I have never physically met. We are bonded by tragedy and our art, I might be projecting, but I think I can make a presumption that our art has subsequently got us through and helped us understand our tragedy. Um, I'm going to put this into our grief survival guide mini series, which I started when my mom passed away to sort of help me understand grief and also document what I was going through because it's the one thing amongst other things that everyone experiences. And I really think sharing it helps people feel less alone in in that space. But before we get to get into all that, I want to I want to talk a little bit about you and learn a little bit about you because I know some things obviously from your social media. Um, yeah, yeah. Are you from Cedar Falls?
1: Yes, you did some digging. <laughs> I did
0: some digging. I I wanted to, you know, have a background and and talk a little bit about that. What was it like growing up in Cedar Falls? Was it blue collar, a lot of people
1: uh cedar falls iowa is a very small town it's actually where i went to college um i like was in the church worship group and played all the sports and married my first high school love and all the things that small town iowa boys do um i actually ran away from that town as fast as i could when i could to be honest (laughs) but uh uh, now that i'm older i realize i mean that place made me who i am and Um, it kind of built up the character in my belief system as to what it is right now. So I respect that, even though I don't call it home. I call Nashville home now um, for many reasons. But it was a a very simple town, which I miss sometimes.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that simple life has a, it's a pull and a tug and pull. (laughs) It is, it's alluring, I think, to the heart, but for the pursuit of the career can, have its limitations.
1: Yeah, very much so. I mean, I was the typical worship leader and grew up in the church and did that. That's kind of where I started musically, but it got to a point already at age like 19, 1920 where I realized I wasn't going to do much more than that if I stayed in that small town. It was actually funny. My little sister got married and I took my fiance, Kylie to the wedding and we were literally driving up a gravel road surrounded by fields and she was like, where are we? you <laughs> have never seen anything like that. So. Yeah.
0: I, um, tell me what a typical worship leader is because I don't know that I could conjure that up in my mind. What does that even mean?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I just hear the story over and over again here in Nashville. Like guys that are in the country music scene here kind of came up in the church and volunteered at the church and led worship at the church. I actually turned it into a living and was like a Christian worship artists had a signed deal and did that for like eight to 10 years and what <laughs> yeah yeah so that was kind of all I knew and yeah. very long story short my dad owned a restaurant in Iowa and uh this couple would always come in so I was like a little kid mom like my mom was a waitress for my dad so They'd like going to work at 4 a.m. to open up this restaurant and take me with them. I'd spent my summers in this little restaurant, this little cafe. So all these old guys would come in, I'd sit with them and have coffee, and they'd tell me all their dirty jokes. And <laughs> Really really fun experience, a really fun childhood, but this couple would always come in and kind of like invite my parents to go to church with them. and My parents always like politely declined and just too busy and had kind of a bad experience growing up in church, but they eventually convinced my parents to take me. So. I started going to church with them, this couple, Ron and Lila, when I was five years old. And uh, so kind of came up in the church with them, and uh, I was singing a hymn one morning. We always sat in the front row in the front pew, and I was singing a hymn. I was actually singing the female part because my voice was so high. And uh, Ron, this guy that took me to church, he heard me, and he goes, Jay, I'm going to put you on stage next Sunday, and you're going to sing in front of everyone. That was literally how I began singing. He forced me into it. (laughs) So. But it, w- it went so well, and I think that's when I first realized as a kid that I had a voice, and that led to me like uh, being a part of the worship teams there, and got my first internship at a local at the lo- local university, and then at the local church, and then I ended up in Savannah, Georgia, as a full time worship pastor. So
0: that's such an interesting yep. area of music that I not that I didn't consider, I know there is gospel. I know that there are, um, church choirs and professional artists that come out of that world. Um, it's such a, I don't want to say niche. It's a very specific sound I would think. And I want to get to where you are today, but I, I want to know if you're willing to divulge what your relationship was like growing up with your mom and what type of mom was she like? What, what are some of the the memories that stand out most to you about her mothering and, and what that was like for you.
1: Yeah. I think my mom, I mean, I, I, maybe a lot of us feel this way, but I always felt like my mom was the queen of all moms. She was, when I think of a mother, someone that's motherly, I, I, she's the perfect image of it. She was selfless. Um, we didn't have a lot growing up and she was forced to, um, work a lot. And, uh, she never made me feel like i had less than because she would take that extra shift or uh, take another side job just to make sure i got that stupid playstation for christmas and she just she raised me in the sense where i always believed that i was not just the center of her universe but i was the center of the universe i was a cocky little kid because (laughs) my mom just pulled the crap out of me man so
0: were you an only uh, child
1: I was the oldest and only son, so I have two. I have two little sisters, little blonde-haired, blue-eyed beauties that are five foot tall. So,
0: <laughs> did you now coming out of this church? What did you call it? Um, <laughs> how did you describe the the the
1: typical worship leader? Upbringing. There we go. Typical
0: yeah. worship leader. Um, When you were in this space in your life and in this place in your life, did you have like big lofty goals for yourself? Like I remember when I was eight recording myself on, you know, my cassette tape thinking and imagining myself in front of a crowd. Did you have those types of dreams and did you have goals as a kid?
1: I think once I started singing in front of girls. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. Yeah, I mean, we had like a cabaret in uh, high school and I literally, I didn't have, obviously didn't have any tattoos till I got a little older, but I remember being like 15, 16 and like wearing a shirt like this and drawing like tattoos on my arms and like playing songs on my, literally sitting on a stool playing songs on my guitar in front of all these girls and seeing their right reaction I think spurred on all my big lofty dreams.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's very honest of you. I appreciate the honesty.
1: <laughs> I blame the girls.
0: <laughs> blame us. You can blame us for all your problems. We probably yeah. are uh you know, we will carry that burden for you. Thank w- you. What was it like with your father and what was your relationship with your father?
1: So uh my mom was the one that introduced me to country music. She could not go to sleep at night without her clock radio playing country music. Yeah. So She's the reason I fell in love with country music. She picked me up from school, and she had this car I hated so bad. It was a 95 Buick Sabre, and it was purple. It was the ugliest car. I can see it. She would pick me up from, like, football practice. Like, all my, like, rip, jack, tough dude friends, like, watching me get in this little purple car. Um, but I ended up loving the experience because my mom would crank up the local country radio station. We'd sing those songs at the top of our lungs all the way home. So, But my dad, on the other hand, is a hippie. Like, my dad has a shaved head he has his nipple pierced, he has, (laughs) (laughs) he has like,
0: your dad sounds like Sinead (laughs) O'Connor.
1: He's pretty cool, man. I mean, I, it was interesting growing up. He was the dude that wore socks with sandals and like bright orange, like shorty shorts and almost like slightly embarrassed of him. Now I'm just like, my dad's the cool dad now that I'm older you know, I'm like a grown man. All my dudes love my dad and, uh, smoke weed with my dad and all those things. Um, but my dad's a hippie. I mean, he introduced me to rock and roll. My first concert was Styx. So we had a '91 Ford Bronco, two-tone tan, and uh, hell yeah. Came downstairs one one day, and he's like, "Jay, we're going to a concert." And he had a, a jean jacket on, and he had got a matching jean jacket for me to wear. And he we got in that Bronco. He rolled up the windows. He smoked the whole way there.
0: <laughs> you you guys hot box the Bronco?
1: Yeah, he hotboxed me. I, I I think that was the first time I got high. I was ten years old. <laughs> <laughs> got me into a Styx concert, and uh, I'll never forget Mr. Roboto fist pumping to Mr. Roboto. <laughs> stunned out of my mind when I was ten years old.
0: Man, you need you need to lend your dad out. Your dad should be on like a a program for people who are missing cool dads. He sounds amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's winning now. Not so much when I was younger, but he's the cool dad now for sure.
0: Were your parents together? Uh, through your your mother's journey, which we're going to discuss and get into if you're open to it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the positives that I took out of it was they were struggling. They stayed together. Um, They were struggling before my mom got sick. When my mom got sick, my dad and I hadn't spoke. Before my mom got diagnosed, my dad and I hadn't spoke for two years. And uh, obviously she was diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. We had some really tough conversations. And I said, Dad, it's all in the past, man. Bygones will be bygones if you just make me a promise. Love her and take care of her till the end. He said, yes, sir. And he did. And we're, we've been good ever since. We're best friends now because of it. You know, and It's brought our family together. And we all live in separate states, but we talk every single day now. And uh, I think realizing how fleeting life is has made it made us realize how important it is to stick together even despite to our differences. So me and Pops are really close. I'm thankful that mom and dad stayed together to the end.
0: Yeah, that that definitely puts things into perspective when you're going through something as imminent as Alzheimer's, which is such a unique experience and diagnosis to go through because there is it, it's there it's a one way train and there's only one stop at the end of it. Unfortunately, are you willing to discuss what happened between you and your father? And if it's something you don't want to go into totally cool.
1: Yeah. I'm on, I'm an open book and, uh, I would tell this to his face. I mean, he was kind of, he, my upbringing was tough because I always felt like he was failing our family and especially my mother, just financially, he can never provide. We were always just stressed. And uh, always just struggling. I always felt like, man, if I could just have the life that my friends have, you know, and everyone was getting a new car at 14 or 15, 16, and I was like driving this $600 beater that <laughs> that I paid for myself. I never had any help growing up, and I always just blamed him. Was, always felt like I was mad at him.
0: Mm.
1: That just continued on through um, the years, and I, he got into... I have nothing against smoking marijuana. I think marijuana is awesome. I love to drink alcohol. But he started getting into other things and it got bad and he veered off and I think was being, I think he was screwing around on my mom. And that kind of had got back to me through the grapevine. And I didn't, I was so mad and down at that point. I didn't even want to approach it. I just severed him from my life. Oof. And I don't think, if my mom, got sick, I don't think we would still be talking to this day. So like I said, I think that's the positive that came out of this one of them.
0: I'm going to say something that may or may not be a popular belief. Not that I don't believe there are any accidents. I think there are events in life and the way I approach it is they either become blessings or lessons. And sometimes they're both. I also am a firm believer that Not that everything happens for a reason, but that there can be gifts in every scenario. And the unpopular belief may be that there has to be a sacrifice, not in some middle earth J.K. Rowling's movie, but if we're going to look at life as a balanced experience and as this sort of, there's dualities that exist and the yin and yang of it all. Sometimes something has to be forfeited in order for there to be room to receive. And like you saying, the silver lining being you reconnecting with your father, not that your mother was the cost of that, but because of your mother, in spite of her, uh, your father was brought back into your life. And I look at things that happen in life and that's in those sort of uh, give and take, ebb and flow for me to make sense of it all. Um, I want to talk about your mother, her early onset, how early was it? And, and for people listening, you guys know my, my fans and listeners were very, uh, you know, supportive during my journey with my dad who also was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. I think your mom was in 2008
1: Uh, 2019 she passed. Yep.
0: And yep. Uh, when was she diagnosed?
1: Uh, so she was diagnosed when she was 51. First of all, I'm, I was sorry to hear about your dad. I, uh, I tried to follow along as best as I could. and I definitely feel that connection with you.
0: That's uh, how I found you. I mean, I'm talking about these gifts in life. I found you because I sought out entertainment and music and movies and things that were think that I could relate to what I was going through. And I found you and I was following you and following your journey. And, you know, those Mm -hmm. are like the little silver linings of our experiences.
1: Yes. Yeah. I've been connected with so many people along the way through this, like the saddest thing I've ever experienced. Like, so, like I said, so many positives have come out of it. Now getting to meet with you and talk with you is one to add to the list. So
0: I appreciate that. I receive that. Yeah. There is a community of of people going through individual uh, or, you know, specific traumas and things. And if you, you know, there are resources out there. And if you guys are listening for, for uh, reasons that I don't know and a reason that I do know, w- women live longer and we tend to be two thirds more likely to um, be diagnosed with Alzheimer's, some form of dementia. And women are more susceptible to early onset. And your mother, 51, is very, very early. I am, yeah. I, like, I'm beyond sorry for you, and I, I feel for you. Do you remember feeling like something was wrong with her? Like, what led up to the diagnosis?
1: Yeah, it's interesting now. Like I feel like we're all driving this vehicle called life, and we don't realize some of the things we're passing along the way, and we kind of don't pay attention for me. Looking back now in the rear view, I, I realized my mother never had a great memory. I mean, I and I, it absolutely declined in her 40s. Um, she wouldn't even play like trivia games because she was so embarrassed that she didn't know answers. Um, and then, I mean, 51 years old, she had been going to the same place of work, I think, at this point for like 15 years. And so the story goes, my dad called me and said, your mom called me this morning, and uh, she had pulled over on the side of the road, was bawling her eyes out, had no idea where she was or where she was going, and begged him to come pick her up, mm. Um, so that, I mean, right then, I was like, that's some, that's dementia, Alzheimer's, and I didn't know anything about Alzheimer's, especially early onset, but she, she was very young, that's why they call it early onset, now I've heard stories of Thirty-six-year-olds, like people in their thirties being diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's—it's unreal to me. So,
0: it is. It's very. Uh, it's it's like an unfathomable. It's it's, it's like thieves in the night.
1: Yes, yeah. It's it it. Yes, it steals it steals you. <laughs> it it uh. It took her in two years and nine months. it. it she went from this vibrant mother figure, you know, this like, the person that I look to is like my everything, literally where I came from, um, to, I felt like she aged like 50 years in two years. she looked 75, 80 years old, and she was only 54 when she passed. Her hair went gray, almost white, she got really wrinkled wow. over, and she lost her ability to speak, and then we found, the last thing I wanted to do was to put her in a care facility center. And I literally, like, this is going back to, I hate to say this to throw him under the bus, but my dad didn't prepare, you know, and I was the one that had to send the check to put her in a home, and it was a lot of money, you know, but she lasted six weeks before she lost her ability to swallow, so she couldn't eat without you tube, and then she just gave up, so I was...
0: That's, yeah, go, go ahead, I didn't mean to cut you Yeah, it's all good.
1: Um, I was literally already touring, um, so I had, like, a song that was spinning on Sirius XM the highway, the country station on Sirius XM. And so I like, got a few deals and got on with a big booking agency. I was touring, having the time of my life. And then um, I, know I decided to bring her on stage um, when I was going through my home state of Iowa, opening up for my buddy Chris Lane. And I debated whether to do this or not, but the idea just popped in my head. Like, what if I want this song to be so effective, you know? And I was realizing the power of it. I said, what if Because you can only tell the story so much without giving people the image. And for me, the best way to do that was to put her on stage with me in front of everyone. Because you could tell there was something very wrong with her just by looking at her. So, I debated on whether to do this or not. uh, But I talked to my pops about it before the show. I just said, Dad, I'm going to have you side stage with Mom. When I get to the end of my show and I'm going to do the blank stairs thing, I'm going to just look at you, you give me the nod if it's yes or no, if she's feeling up for it. So I get to that point, and I look over at the side of the stage, and she's smiling. <laughs> and then my dad goes, yeah, she's good. So I grabbed her, pulled her out on the stage, and you could the whole room went quiet immediately. This is, I think, the first time I did this. and um, I just wrapped her arms around me. I wrapped my arms around her. I told that story and sang that song. And a guy took a video of it out in the crowd, put it on his Facebook and it just got kept getting millions and millions of views. And we did that a couple more times in, in Iowa for different shows and these videos kept replicating and getting just all this traction. And um, that's kinda how it all started. But I was on the I was on the road because of the story had kinda taken off. I was starting to get all these opportunities to play shows everywhere and not just things with to deal with Alzheimer's, but other fun shows opening up for big acts. So we had put her in the home. And I was playing a show somewhere in North Carolina, driving with my band in my, I call it my raper band. That's so bad. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Look, let me tell you, if you've, you, you, you followed me, Jay, you know, my humor is dark. So you're right up my rape alley like with that. Say that. My fans will appreciate it. I feel it. like I'm in a
1: safe place.
0: <laughs> you are in a very safe place, yeah, brother. So we're in our,
1: our 15 pasture white raper band. <laughs> <laughs> We just played this show in North Carolina and we're driving down to play a show in Savannah, which is interesting because I lived there for so long and that was kind of a whole different part of my life. And So we're driving there to play a show and I get a phone call from my sister Um, and it was very somber and to the point, Jay, I know you're on the road, but I think this is going to be our last opportunity to talk to mom. We don't think she's going to make it to the night. And so I just like... I was like, well, shit, this is happening. You know, I you can't prepare for that. So I had her on speaker. My band, the guy that was driving my van, immediately pulled over. The band got out, gave me some space. And then I was on speaker with my little sisters and my dad. My dad was holding her hand. We all went around and prayed for her with the pastor in the room. All said our peace to her and got to me. And she had to close. She started when she heard my, my band wrapped their arms around me by the road in Georgia, and we all just started crying, and I just told her I was proud of her, I loved her, and it was okay to go, and so that night, I had to play a show while knowing I was going to lose my mom that night, and I got a call about 3.30 in the morning, and she had passed with my dad holding her hand, so it was a, man, it's indescribable feeling to lose your, any, I mean, anyone you love like that, you know? So, but I'm so proud to say that we've, I've tried my damnedest to turn that sadness into my, I've turned my sadness into a place of community for others. um, To know that they have a place to go, I mean, if it's on my Facebook page, just in the comments, to read other people's stories and go, you know, read what they're going through and how they're grieving and then just to be like, I'm not alone. People have made friends in the comments on my Facebook and like hired me to come play private shows in their backyard and we've just like told stories and prayed and had a time of healing together so i'm proud of what we've done not just all the money that's been raised but just the sense of community through grief i think is so important i mean even what we're doing right now having the conversation about it is i surprisingly that's rare and it shouldn't be and i've been trying to change that landscape to make it okay to talk about it okay to be sad okay to be pissed off and talk about it
0: did you guys know that one out of six couples are struggling with infertility? Seriously, that's a staggering statistic that most people don't know or aren't ready to talk about. But we need to get good data and information about our bodies in order to have informed conversations with our doctors and make the best decisions for ourselves and our futures. That's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home. It's like hormones, like Home hormones with a simple finger prick mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days listen I just got my modern fertility kit I'm staring 40 at the back of the head I'm not sure if I want to have children or not but at least I want to know what's going on in my lady pockets the kit came to my house I have to do the testing during my cycle so that isn't quite happening right now I am ovulating and staring at men who are way below my standards. So we have to stay in the house as to not make bad decisions. But with this kit, you're going to get insight into your hormone levels, your ovarian reserve, which I didn't even know that's what we call it. That's how many eggs you have compared to other women your age and other fertility factors. The results go deep into what every hormone means. And you can also download the results to review with your doctor for next steps. I'm honestly pumped about this because these tests normally cost like a thousand dollars and this is a fraction of the price right at your home so uh, i don't know if i should publicize my results (laughs) can you imagine i'm not not fertile that'd be so embarrassing but i am very excited to take the test i love an at-home kit the instructions are super easy and right now modern fertility is offering our sharp tongue listeners twenty dollars off the test when you go to modernfertility.com slash sharp That's modernfertility.com slash S-H-A-R-P. You guys know how to spell it by now. That means your test will only cost $179 instead of the hundreds or thousands it costs at a doctor's office. Not to mention you don't have to get in your car and drive to a doctor's office and deal with all of that. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com slash sharp, S-H-A-R-P. Let's see if I'm going to have some babies. It's very important, I think. A lot of times when we're grieving or going through like what you've been through, what I've been through, we go inward. And that's one of the most beautiful parts about social media, aside from you know the thoughts and do nothing people who just wanna be influencers and use their platform for validation. There are these flowers that bloom through like you, who you know. I obviously, when you were talking before, struggling with the idea of putting your mom on stage. And I would imagine similarly to what I was feeling yeah. Battling and teetering the line of, I don't want to exploit them, and I don't want people to think that this is something I'm using for anything nefarious. Yes, to get more eyes, but to get more eyes for the the sole purpose of building a community and sharing the experience so that people can learn. You know, that's why I asked you about early um, indicators of your mother so that people can learn. Oh. I'm experiencing that now. Maybe that's what's going on with mom. Maybe that's what's going on with my sister. You know, it, with my father, we always said it was years. And he probably had early onset as well, because we would say it was just dad being dad. He would call us and, you know, he's got four daughters, three ex-wives. He had probably had a couple of cats at the time, a lot of golf clubs that he had names for. He would call and go through all those names before he got to mine. <laughs> And I was like the favorite daughter. Like I should be on the top of the head, you know? Um, But you, I want to unpack like what you were just talking about, you know, you having your mom on stage. I remember seeing that video clip and feeling that authentic moment and knowing what you were going through, even though I hadn't met you, even though I hadn't seen you perform live, had only seen you through the Instagram filter of social media. Um, But there's a lyric in that song, Blank Stairs, that's stuck in my soul. It's, I know you're still in there deep down somewhere. I swear, I see you between the blank stairs. And to me, I was like, like that was just exactly what I experienced with my father. Like there were those glimmers of hope. What I spoke about with my fans, there's these little lucid moments with people who have Alzheimer's where you're like, oh, you're, you're, you're still fucking in there and then whew, gone it's like a ghost it's like this human this this human that's alive and they're being robbed from us and there's little ghosts yep. of their authentic self and you grab onto that and you it's like such a cruel experience of hope that until you know what you're going through you don't realize is not going to end up the way you want it to end up um also you know I want to know how were you able to create during this experience? Because the one unique thing about dementia and Alzheimer's and any sort of neurodegenerative disease like Parkinson's, Lou Gehrig's disease, where the end is always the same, being death. How were you able to create while you were grieving? Because we have to grieve these loved ones while they're alive which is the hardest part about it. We're losing pieces of them every single day. And those blank stares start to become uh, more often than not. And inevitably the entirety of their experience. How were you able to create while you were going through this?
1: So like I mentioned earlier, I am the oldest. I was her oldest child, only son. So two little sisters, you come up in a household where you don't have a lot. If we ever encountered any sort of um, problem, I was the one that found a way to resolve it. I was the one that was working on a farm when I was nine years old trying to help out. You know, I was the one, you know, when dad wasn't around, being a parent to my little sister. So when mom got sick and I realized the opportunity that I had to help others and help our family, that sense of I'm a fixer went into overdrive. Mm -hmm. Where it was not... It was not, I'm just creating to create, it's, I am creating to fix and to help and to, it, I, I was had this sense of naivety where I, I, I felt like I could make it all better and make it go away and there was going to be, there was going to be a resolution at the end, you know, and uh, when I got to the point where I realized, okay, mom's going to pass, um, and I realized that it wasn't going to be a resolution, uh, And then she did pass. It even kicked in even more. You know, like it was like, okay, now this is my purpose. (laughs) And I got a lot of flack for that. I mean, you know, we talked about the struggle of wondering how people are going to perceive us and not wanting it to be perceived that way. My intentions were always pure from the beginning, and I kind of had to just give the middle fingers to all those people that were trying to get in my way and say, you're doing this for the wrong reason. It was never that. It was, no, I have, you know... Always been the fiction of my family, and now I feel obligated to help fix others. (laughs) You know, help create a safe place for others. Kylie just
0: walked in. Kylie, hi, Kylie. You were going to be my next question and journey into conversation, so this is very timed perfect. How are you? It's so nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, never be sorry. Ever, ever, ever. I'm I'm always here for some more magic in the screen for the podcast. For those of you listening, Miss Kylie Morgan just popped in. She's also a very talented musician. Check out her music. I love her music. I'm a fan. Thank you. <laughs> um, you said a word that has been floating around in my soul since I've lost my parents and it's purpose. Did you feel like you, you had a purpose prior to this and it was music? But isn't it interesting, when we go through something as heavy and life-changing, altering, ground-shaking as loss, the loss and your predetermined destiny being music, they almost come together in this really beautiful way where your purpose has become something beyond you. It's become Mm -hmm. something bigger than you. And it takes on a totally new meaning and, and a greater power. Did you feel worried that you couldn't live up to it? Did you feel worried or had any sort of concern about that? Did it overwhelm you? (coughs) Hold on one second. My dog, I don't want my dog to ruin this. Hey, chaplain, we're talking about purpose and loss and you're being a dick. Okay, continue.
1: pick my dogs outside. <laughs> uh, it was overwhelming from the moment where I had, it was like, I remember having this interview with people. That sounds bougie, but it, I mean, it's really where I realized that I, it was a like almost like a vision. I think maybe the first, maybe the only time I've had. A vision, like a glimpse into how heavy this was and how important this song was going to be, not just for me and my family, but for others, for many others. The moment the idea popped into my brain, um, my mom and dad had been in Nashville visiting me because my dad felt obligated to make sure I got time with my mom before it progressed any worse. And so that's when I was inspired to write Blink Stairs. We took her out dancing. That was the first time she had looked at me and not recognized who I was, so we took her out dancing, and I was so pissed off. I just like, let's go guzzle beers. <laughs> Get out of here. So took her dancing, and um, when she saw that band on stage in that bar, that sparkle came back. People that have dementia all they have a glaze. They have a blank stare. That's where the idea came from. But when she saw the band and heard the music, she immediately wanted to go inside, and I I swear to God, she immediately tried to talk, and she was laughing. And So being the fixer, I've always been in my family. I took advantage of that moment, grabbed her by the hand, pulled her to the front of the venue right from the stage. We started slow dancing to a fast song. The band caught on. The guy that was singing slowed everything down. Was wow. doing like this whole thing on his guitar in a bar. And uh, my mom just like took this overwhelmingly deep breath. I felt it. And uh, she just pulled me in real close and she's like, Oh Jay, I've missed you. Oh. I love you so much. Uh I've missed you, son. And I was like, my mama's back, you know. Um, that's where I was, that's where the idea came from. I still see you. You're still there. What in the hell can I do to get you back? And so they spent about two weeks with us in Nashville. She was very sick, so I would do everything in my power to see her again. I would sing her songs. We'd play funny movies. I got her stoned out of her mind. <laughs> I got her drunk. She loved chocolate ice cream, so we made her one of those alcoholic rum ice cream drinks. <laughs> Alcohol into her system. Oh, She'd my make- God.
0: I did the same thing for my dad. <laughs>
1: it's so funny. And But she would, like, kind of start to become herself again in those moments, you know, where she was just fully relaxed or laughing or hearing music, and And so the morning where they left um, to drive back to Iowa, I'm just standing in my kitchen and the whole chorus comes to me. Mm. I'm very thankful I get to make music for a living and write songs for a living, but I gotta work damn hard on it. Like Kylie is just a naturally gifted songwriter. She'll wake up in the middle of the night, write a whole song, and then tell me about the next morning. And uh, I have to work my ass off to craft a song. But that day it just like flooded me and it was that, yes, it was very overwhelming, where I shut the door, watched my mom and dad leave, and I walked around my house bawling my eyes out, so overwhelmed, knowing that this was meant to be something, and yeah, it felt like, okay, this is going to be my purpose, and in the moment, I was like, well, shit, (laughs) it was like a sense of gratitude to God, but also like, oh, shit, like, this is going to be a lot to take home, and it took over my life very quickly, and I didn't do or say anything, it just happened. It was destined. And the opportunities that came up just happened on their own, you know, just snowballed.
0: I I think um, I relate to you so much. I feel for you so much. Um, We're in two totally opposite um, areas of entertainment, you know, mine being comedy and yours being music. They do overlap very much especially jazz jazz is very much like comedy if, if if there were comedy uh genre within music it would be jazz in my opinion um but i don't i don't know if you know this you you might because uh, i'm sure you've educated yourself and have had to learn things to process and i learned because i had the same experience with my father where he lost the ability to talk and to to really emote and to connect. He lost that sort of ability to really have a conversation in any way. Cause you know how you can have a conversation with your eyes. You can have a conversation with touch. Your senses are able to communicate, but with Alzheimer's, those all get fogged and the, the messages literally get distorted. So he had lost his ability to connect with any one of his senses. And when we would put music on, that's when he would come to life. And I, I, was taken aback. I was like, what is going on here? And I learned that music is one of the only things that activates every part of your brain simultaneously, especially if the person used to play. My father was not a musician. He came from um, a musician. My grandfather was was a piano player and a liquor salesman and a womanizer, but we won't get into that. That'll be another episode. He had two families at once. No big deal. Probably one of the reasons why my dad had so much depression as a child. And maybe subsequently was the reason he got Alzheimer's. I'm not bitter. Everything's fine. I have a <laughs> blunt waiting for me. This is always at, this is at my fucking grasp. Everyone, a corner of my house, there's a, there's a, there's a damn <laughs> ashtray right. with a blunt. I digress. Um, I, have, I have
1: these, right?
0: Yes. When I come to Nashville, I'm going to come hang with you and Kylie. <laughs> We
1: have a good time, I presume.
0: Um, but I learned that, you know, music activates all parts of the brain. And it's it has it's a very amazing tool for people who are dealing with somebody to al- with Alzheimer's to utilize. And that's why someone like you is so important, because not only do you have music that people can connect to on a lyrical level, music in general is is such a beautiful tool to use with somebody who you've lost the ability to communicate with because it can bring them back even just for a moment for both of you, you know, it's, it can be such a selfish experience where you want and need to feel them because you're from them and you, and, and they're a part of you and you don't want it. You almost feel like you're losing yourself by losing them. And so when they come back, you're, you're validated. You're like, I'm a person I belong to something. So it's it's a interesting symbiotic relationship that occurs when you're losing somebody like that because as you do want them to not suffer, you're also suffering, and there's a great amount of guilt that's associated with that. And I think it's people. It's important for us to realize that that's that's ir- it's irrelevant. Having and wanting a connection with your parent is not selfish. It's at its very root the most natural thing we can have besides us being created or whatever experiencing that connection and music being one of the most important things that can sort of reactivate that. And so what you're doing, your purpose is so important. It's so powerful. And I hope you've come to, and I assume you have an acceptance of what you're doing and it being bigger than you and, in and, and being healing for other people. And, and I thank you for that. Um, I want to get into Kylie a little bit before I even let you go. Where, how, and when did Kylie come into your life? And what was that like? I don't know if she came in prior to your mother. So how did that magic happen and how did it change your life?
1: Thanks for asking. Kylie is the reason why I call Nashville home. I mean, I can do music anywhere, but Kylie and I met here. (laughs) You know, um, It was a very strange time in my life where I was actually previously married. I got married very young to a girl i met in Iowa. And uh, she kind of just followed me around. She never really, she dropped out of school and um, I got my first like worship church job and she just followed along. She never really found herself and took the time to do that, so... When she finally had an opportunity to do something on her own without me, she just ran that way with her entirety, you know, and and uh, found another guy. And I didn't know it until it's. This is such a long, weird story, but I was in um, Savannah, and uh, something really shitty happened where I quit my church job because we don't have to get in all this, but I don't go to the physical building of church to worship anymore. I have such a strong personal relationship with God. And I worked at churches for so long and got shit on so much. I I don't think I'll ever go back in a church building unless it's like with family on Christmas or something. But so something really shitty happened to me in church. I quit that job in Savannah and uh, she followed me back. We literally went back to Iowa with our tail between our legs and trying to figure out what's next. and We had been in Des Moines, Iowa for nine months, and my ex, my wife at the time, woke me up one morning and said, you need to go to Nashville, otherwise you never will. You'll always regret that you didn't try it, and you'll resent me.
0: Damn. I was,
1: yeah, I was like, what the? Just, like, blindsided me. And uh, so I was like, no, I immediately shut it down. I was like, there's no way I could do that. Like, how, could, how could I afford it? I have to start over. I had a lease there on a condo still for four months in downtown Des Moines. She was like, I'll hang back. I'll hold down the fort. We'll FaceTime every day. You get on your feet and figure it out in Nashville. Just do whatever you have to do. I'm giving you the freedom to leave me for four months and to figure it out. And so I immediately got a job, was working full time, and uh, was sending her money every month. But the only way I was capable of surviving in Nashville and getting on my feet was because there was an older couple who was fr- friends of a pastor friend of mine who let me stay in their in-law suite, like a little apartment in the back of their house right outside Nashville. I would try to write them a check every month, and they would rip it up and put it back in my kitchen. So I had a free place to stay. I literally went there with one with one suitcase and a guitar, Worked full-time, wrote twice a day, every day, met everyone I could, went out drinking with everyone every night, because that's quickly how I found out how you meet people in Nashville. <laughs> oh, I like killing myself to try to make this work, while sending her money every month, living with these old people, and uh, who ended up being angels, but finally, it to the point where She, you know, she's like, okay, you know, the lease is up. I want to move to Nashville with you. So I get her to Nashville, and she drops the bomb on me that the real reason why she wanted us to be apart and me to leave was because she had another guy the whole time. And I just fucking just like, I was like, what? Just never saw it coming. Um, But man, that sure opened my eyes, you know, and helped me to realize that I hadn't been happy for a long time. I was doing things. Out of obligation, and I was with her out of obligation. I wasn't really in love, and uh, so it created an opportunity for me to hit the refresh on my life. And we started the the separation process, and uh, he ended up with that guy, married him, and had still got two kids, and they live in Nashville.
0: <laughs> Fucking great.
1: Yeah, so I couldn't be more happy for her. I'm so glad it happened because it it opened up my Eyes to realize this is that's not what I wanted. That didn't work for me, and now I kind of have an idea of what I do want in a woman, in a future partner. And then God brought Kylie. It was like this, like immediately. The mo- the moment I had decided that's okay, I'm gonna from it and heal from it, and I'm gonna be better because of it. God brought Kylie. Our publishers had set us up on a songwriting session. It sounds cliche, but we I, I literally having a shit day. I walked in that publishing house on music grow saw her and i was like she was like you're my husband and i was like you're my wife just
0: (laughs) wait did you guys say this to each other
1: just i I mean basically i mean i was ready to say i love you literally (laughs) so weird (laughs) but i mean we could write a song kylie and i could sit down and write a song in 45 minutes that day it took us a good 10 hours with a very long lunch break (laughs) so um And we've just, we've been in love ever since and kind of came up through the ranks in Nashville together. Kylie told her mom when she was 12 years old, I'm not going to college. I'm going to move to Nashville to be a country music singer. And she did that. She literally, like, after her freshman year of high school, started touring full-time and did online school. Like, she's been all in with this idea of being a country singer since she was 12 years old. So I lived, like, a whole other life before I even had the concept of doing music or country music as a living it's always been her dream and her idea and her vision and her calling, so even though she's younger than me, I've learned so much from her and been inspired by her and she's had such a great last year and uh she just went to for ads at country radio for the first time and
0: um, man she's had a couple a, a couple of her songs really rolling virally, Yes, people sharing and people loving her music it, she has a very loyal fan base like they love her and she I've never met her, but she's got this, she's got something, you know, she's alluring in her, her stage presence. It's all so natural. You're like, that's what she's meant to do. She found what she's meant to do. She found her calling.
1: It's just always been what she's done and always been who she is. And uh, I know I've had the blessing and pleasure to be able to see that, experience that far before anyone else did. So now I'm so thankful that the world gets to see it and experience it but uh, she's, yeah, the sky's the limit for her, and she's such a light, and uh, I mean, we talk about the power of music, Kylie doesn't even have to open her mouth, and she walks into a room, and you feel this sense of, like, positivity, she has just this beautiful color of an aura around her, you know, and so, I am the man dressed in black at all times, so I need her. <laughs>
0: <laughs> she's your June Carter.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, she definitely brings out the best in me, and I, I can't believe we're getting married, and... 50 days. So.
0: 50 days?
1: Yeah. 50 days. It's...
0: Wow. I didn't realize it was coming up so soon. Congratulations. That's amazing. Are you guys going to be the wedding entertainment?
1: Uh, <laughs> we're, we're definitely, we feel obligated and also want to sing at our own wedding. So we're going to sing a song to each other. But we're, uh, We have a buddy. He's the youngest um, programming director in country music in, in the United States. He works for iHeart. He's going to DJ. The wedding for us. This dude is hilarious. We've partied with him a few times and done some things I'm almost ashamed of. <laughs> but so he's gonna be like the main entertainment of the night for us, which is awesome. Uh, but yeah, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to sing to her at the wedding. I'm not sure if I'm gonna be able to get through it because I'm a crowd baby. But uh,
0: yeah, I appreciate that honesty though. I appreciate that accessibility to your emotions as a man with full-sleeved Christian sleeves. Can I call those Christian sleeves? Uh, these
1: are just sleeves. I mean, each tattoo has a meaning, but you don't have to call them Christian sleeves.
0: <laughs> okay. They're not Christian sleeves. They're just regular tattoo sleeves, which I res—I respect that. And I appreciate that. I, I appreciate your time so much. And before we go, um, you know, sometimes when I've had guests on the grief survival guide mini series, part of the, of sharp tongue podcast, I ask to maybe share something with people who are experiencing what you and I have gone through. Maybe, a nugget of wisdom, maybe something that you wish you knew before all of this, something that maybe got you through it, a motto, a mantra, anything that you could maybe share if you had to choose one thing for people listening that are experiencing going through somebody with Alzheimer's or maybe even still healing over the loss. Is there anything that sticks out in your mind from that experience that you'd like to share? Yeah, thank you for asking that.
1: Um, For me, it's I just wrote, I wrote this song and I, I think it's gonna be the next thing up. I, I kind of you're gonna see what what I just experienced the opportunity I had. You're gonna see it in the coming months, and it's kind of the a refresh for me on my career. And I did what you're gonna see. I did it for the purpose of highlighting this again. I kind of took it to the extent that I could on my own organically. So I took on this opportunity so I could take it even farther. But I wrote this song called you know the phrase there's no no time like the present. Well, we flipped it, and the hook is there's no present like the time. Like, time is such a gift. Um, and I realized that I think I got so stuck in the mindset of I need to work my ass off to fight for my mom. When she was sick, I didn't utilize my time to just be with her. You know? Um, I, And that will, I hate using the word regret, but that will always be a regret of mine. That I just didn't spend time with her and be with her, you know. So I encourage people to try to be present, even though it's so hard. It's hard to face and it's hard to see them slip away. Just hold them so tight. That's all you really can do.
0: Yes, and that that hit me in the feels because I did the same thing. I felt like I had to put my career in overdrive to, because I was going to save him somehow. Well this has been absolutely amazing to share some time with you and I appreciate you being so candid. I appreciate the little guest spot from our girl Kylie Morgan. Maybe I can get her on the podcast when she has some time and I wish you guys the most beautiful wedding and I can't wait to see what you have coming down the pipeline. I'm such a fan and i am glad that your purpose is something that people can actually use and feel and help them get through their own grief and trauma and you are a gift jay allen you are a gift and and thank you so much for being on the podcast thank
1: you for having me it's a pleasure I consider you a friend and family now
0: heck yeah brother we're gonna have to throw some whiskeys back when i'm in nashville i'm in nashville at some point i'm gonna bring you and kylie up on stage we're gonna do a ditty
1: Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> about the ditties. Let's go.
0: <laughs> well, you take care, and thank you so much. Okay.